0: You know, maybe all the design trends will change and we'll go back to a super dense, (laughs) dense application, lots of information. But I don't see that really happening. Um, Personally, I just think that I think they're going to try to I think American companies. Their goal is let's expand into every facet of life and look like we're not doing it. Mm -hmm. American companies don't want to be the don't want to look like the one stop shop for everything. They want to be it
1: secretly. Ever heard of a podcast where one of the hosts has no idea what's going on? Well, now you have. Welcome to Unprompted, the show where one of the hosts shows up completely unaware of the conversation topic for the episode. From technology to society to history, life, and more, each episode features a unique topic and the hosts unravel the details together using nothing but their background knowledge and past experiences. Hosted by Luke Bogus and Jared Arts. We hope you enjoyed today's unprompted conversation.
0: Well, Luke, we're back. We're back. We're There's back. been a little bit of a break. We are getting closer to the inevitable starting of real life. Yeah.
1: So it's been nice to just like you know vibe this summer between college and full time. But and I'm excited, obviously, to get started with life. But. You know what that means? It means that this has got to go virtual. This is we're narrowing down. Maybe the last few times it'll be in person for for a while. This mm-hmm. podcast probably only a few weeks left.
0: I I start work mon- Monday, which might wow. not mean anything to the people listening. Wow. Um, but just in a few days, and then uh, you start. Uh, you have a couple more weeks, mm-hmm. but it's going to be. It's about to get real. So hopefully, these podcasts continue to come in the feed. <laughs> but you never know. The last couple of weeks we
1: expected to maybe get one in and things got a little busy so we'll just have to see yeah i feel confident uh in that we'll keep this podcast going i feel less confident in this topic that i have today uh i was thinking about it on the drive here because it's like a 30-ish minute drive from where i live to where jared lives right now and it's been like mulling over in my head for a while and like i saw like a couple like news articles about it and so like i don't know how it's going to come out i'm curious how this is going to like work Mm -hmm. it's going to be one of those just talking ones i think but it is in the technology area. So are you are you ready? I, I mean, I'm always ready. You're always ready. Okay, okay sure. so basically I want to talk about super apps. I want to talk about, I'm very fascinated with the grip that um, apps like WeChat, um, Alipay, Alibaba, Tencent really have on like, in like China and how people use WeChat for everything. How people use Alipay. Like they don't even like have... From I, I've never been in China. This is just what I've read and what I've heard. But like you know, people pay everything with QR code and everything with Alipay. And it'd be like you know, yeah, we have Apple Pay here, sure. But it'd be like if Amazon had like an entire like Amazon Pay, which they do. But could you imagine like going to small restaurants and going to like pay like your you know car mechanic and paying your like m- monthly rent with like Amazon Pay? Like that's basically like what Alipay has set up in China, which is interesting. So I've been thinking a lot about like you know, super apps. And, you know, it's crazy to me how, like, just few apps, like, hold this tight grip on a majority of products and services in places like China. And then you come to, you know, you think about how our experience is with apps and stuff. And obviously, you have companies that are moving towards it. A great obvious example is Amazon, right? You have, you know, you scroll to the bottom of, like, the Amazon.com, you look at the footer, and you see they're like, Fifty different like products and services that they offer, and obviously they acquire things left and right. But I don't really think we've achieved a true super app. And obviously, I don't. And the thing I just want to discuss is if we ever will achieve that with a lot of the regulations and just like everything like that. But the the reason that I brought this up and where this is where I'm not really sure the conversation is going to go is a couple of days ago TikTok announced that they're going to allow people to apply for jobs within the app. You can upload resumes like your actual resume to your like website or to your profile. And then I don't, I haven't really looked into it that much, but apparently a lot of like big companies have agreed to like field, like use that as part of their like interviewing processes, like fielding candidates from places like TikTok. And so it got me thinking about, man, how is there a correlation between TikTok and resumes? And then it got me thinking about a lot of these other companies and like, you know, what's the correlation between like, twitter and buying a newsletter website and twitter buying all these things and um this is very rambly but i promise it gets to a a good point so i'm gonna take one more step back twitter specifically there was a podcast i was listening to um, called decoder um and it had this was a couple months ago now and the chief product officer of twitter was on the podcast and i can't remember specifically what the quote was but the host said something about like blah 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 like building a social media platform and in the kindest way the cpo of twitter came back and said what we're doing at twitter is building tools for people to express themselves and it's so interesting about how this kind of wraps into all these things it's so weird to me that like alipay and like alibaba is like this central hub with all these like seemingly random products and services like how is there a correlation between all the things they do we chat it's like a chat service how the heck, because like because we don't use it to our day to day. I've never even opened the app. I've never downloaded it. I've never seen anyone use it. I don't know what it looks like. But it's just hard for me to even fathom that people, you know, use this for everything from you know chatting to people to talking to, to businesses to transacting their paychecks and whatever they do. So it's crazy to, to me, it was crazy to me to think about all the things that Amazon does. I got an email the other day about Amazon pharmacy. You know, you got Amazon fresh, you got Amazon everything, right? But it's just like it's very interesting the nuance between, well, Twitter isn't a social media platform. It's a platform that's building tools for people to express themselves. Amazon, their mission statement is quote, they want to be the earth's most customer-centric company. That doesn't have anything to do with the <laughs> fact that they want to be a great e-commerce company. And so I just I guess wanted to talk a little bit about it was a really long intro, but I just <laughs> wanted to give some context. I wanted to talk about I guess why China, I mean, sure there's governmental stuff, but how they're so accustomed to having 3 to 4 to 5 apps in their life that seemingly seems like just a chat app, but actually it is the foundation for so many actions that they take with their like mobile first approach. And for us, we think we use Amazon quote for everything, but really when you look at your iPhone home screen, how many apps do you have? Well, I have like mm-hmm. 60 apps that each do a different thing, you know. So I want to talk about your opinion on will we ever be using super apps? And would you call Amazon right now a super app? Like, what's the closest thing we have? And do you think we'll ever get to a point to where you have four or five apps you use for absolutely everything? Yeah, this is a good topic. And I'd like to start with a question, please.
0: Luke, what's an app? That a collection of services is I guess what I would say. Okay. And so I think we already have super apps in America. Mm. And we have one very notable super app called iOS. Mm. If we think about just like technology and specifically in this case, talk about applications, operating systems and software. All software is just layered on top of each other. The way that I usually think about WeChat or other Chinese super apps is there essentially an operating system sitting a layer above Android or Honor OS or whatever you know operating system is is happening um, on on Chinese on these on a specific Chinese phone? Because they aren't just one app. It's an app where there are plugins from other people. There are all these services built in. There's the You go to maybe WeChat and you have the place where you order food and you have the part of the app where you do this and that and this and that. And it's essentially like a whole operating system. There's a way of navigating that application that is all coupled inside of this one APK, in the case of running on Android. Mm -hmm. In America, we have super apps, but they're one level down the software chain. Instead of existing at the application or package level, they exist at the operating system level. Mm. In this case, Apple iPhone. What do you do? You pull out your iPhone, you log in with your face ID, you pay for things with Apple Pay at almost anywhere in America. You use Apple Maps, you use i or Apple Music, you do all these things central to your life in this app or and I'll say app in the sense of that this is a collection of services, like you mentioned. And so I think in, if we ignore simple what layer exactly we're running the application on in terms of a software stack, we have existing super apps in the way of Google's Android, um, uh, iOS is probably the most notable one. And in China, they just have kind of boosted that up a level, competition kind of allowed them to have multiple applications running on top of the operating system of Android. And so I think we, we do have them. And I think that they're difficult um, to like maintain at, at a huge level. I think that China is a good example of where these have become extremely prolific. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are to the extreme, more than like iOS is in America. But... I, I would say that we do have them now. I don't know if you agree with that. My I, explanation, or I didn't really think about that. Like, because you focused on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I feel like Amazon is an all-encompassing company, mm-hmm. but isn't trending towards a super app. Because mm-hmm. if think about Amazon, all their services are extremely decoupled. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Amazon Shopping. There's Amazon Web Services. Those are not really mm-hmm. combined in any way. They don't have, like, one Amazon app where you do it all, or even an operating system yet. And yep. So I feel like I feel like my attention, as it almost always does, gets directed at Apple. Because <laughs> I think they have an interesting way of doing things that more closely
1: mirrors what's going on with uh, the tech giants of China. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about it that way, about comparing it like, you know, we have, like, SaaS, like, software as a service. It's like, a, what is it, like? A-A-A-O-S, like app as an operating system. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's crazy because because you're right. Like, you know, you um, there was a when I was prepping for this episode, um, I was reading this blog um, by someone at Andreessen Horowitz and um, the author was talking about how, like, basically years ago when people were, you know, obviously, like in America, we don't really think <laughs> that broad, you know, we, a lot of the startups, you know, are focused on, like, let's capitalize on, like, the, you know, American market share, then, like, we'll just, like, copy and paste what we're doing over in Europe, but, like, that never works, and mm-hmm. so, like, this particular VC was talking to some company about whatever and brought up WeChat, and this was, like, six years ago at this point, so um, WeChat was obviously pretty prolific, but at the time, it was newer, quote-unquote, than it is now mm-hmm. in 2021, and the, uh, the author remarked how the designer that she, I think it was a she, she showed um, the app to um was like man like this is so gross like you know this is poorly designed how do i know what services i have how do i know what's offered blah 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 and the remark and her remark in the article to this designer was go to your iphone home screen does that look like a good user experience all of these apps all these logos all these different colors sure they're like they're the same same shape and size but it's I, I guess i didn't really make the comparison of you know what A a WeChat is, while it seems gross, and that there's a billion different services, and what you know, what the heck it offers. Same thing with the iPhone. Like there's all these built, random built-in apps and third-party apps and Mm -hmm. this and that. And so, I've just never thought about it, though. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, and also another thing that's interesting, I think, when we look specifically at the rise of super apps in China, is that one of the reasons these, (laughs) I like your application as an operating system. I think that's really clever, is they kind of developed. In a sense, because Android didn't cater to the Chinese market. And changing that Android interfaces um, at the time at the time when if they these first started coming up was a little bit more difficult to make it very custom. And so um, you saw these applications as operating systems rise mm-hmm. to introduce these design paradigms that were more familiar to the Chinese customer base. Because any cultural zone has very different like um, design paradigms of what makes sense culturally um, due to the education differences. You know, Like you mentioned, you can't just copy-paste things and have them be successful in Europe or South America or anywhere else. It's, you have to design for specific areas. And so WeChat, I think we can use as a common and recurring example in this episode, is designed in a way that makes more sense to a Chinese audience mm-hmm. than it does to a Western i'll say american audience because we have different ideas on what good design is um that's differences in script how we read it's mm-hmm. differences and you know cultural differences and what looks good and so that's one of the reasons i think these applications got so big in china as well is that android was designed almost entirely for um the american audience so it was introduced as into china and they just built on top of it. They built an application on top of it that does everything that needs to be done um, for life. And so that is a it was kind of a quick and dirty way initially mm-hmm. to get what was necessary. But then long term, you know, it's become built up these giant tech companies that are in some ways rivaling the American tech giants. So it's just interesting that that almost in
1: a way just a cultural difference led down this path. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because it's like, you know, if you were to take Amazon's all of Amazon's offerings, like I mentioned this in my long intro, but to highlight it again, one of my favorite things to do is literally go to the Amazon website, scroll all the way to the bottom and just look at the footer. Their footer fills up the entire desktop because they have every single, like basically business and, or like operating vertical they own has a little place in the footer, has like a little, like, you know, quote of what they do and you can click and you can dive into the landing page. Um, And I feel like it works here because I don't know. Do you, well, I guess this is a question. Do you ever think that's going to get to a point where you go on the Amazon app? Because right now, Amazon is obviously synonymous with, oh, I'm going to buy stuff and like uh, e commerce. And like I mentioned earlier, one of their quotes on their website is that, you know, one of their missions is just not, we're going to build the best e commerce, you know, thing in the world, which it is. But the quote is, we're going to build the earth's most customer centric company. So it's like, will every two points where you open the Amazon app and you have a landing page of, you can look at your, prescriptions you can look at your grocery delivery you can look at your um you know your wi-fi you can look at all this stuff everything that they own but it's purposefully built into different websites different apps Mm -hmm. do you ever think they're going to consolidate that do you think that they're not going to because of certain trends like you alluded to it doesn't really make sense to our audience Mm -hmm. you know this is like we're just years out until they do that like i don't know what are your thoughts i don't think they'll ever do it um because
0: i don't think it makes sense design wise uh, for the audience i think that i think that it would be necessary for all of the services integrated into the application to be at least loosely related because otherwise you're going to overwhelm parts of the audience mm-hmm. i would say you know the thing about wechat is it has food delivery insurance this this but they're all kind of related to n- life needs, I would call it. Mm -hmm. Amazon doesn't necessarily have all that. You know, someone who's buying Euro Wi-Fi doesn't necessarily use Amazon Web Services, doesn't necessarily use their healthcare service. And so even if you had someone doing everything on Amazon services, they're still not going to use every Amazon service. And actually, they probably won't use half of them, you know. And so I think that it wouldn't make sense... Both from, I think, Americans would be like, "Nah," no. yeah. they, they wouldn't like the design because they're so used to a different format, um, and it just would be complicated for their consumers. And I think that, you know, maybe the, all the design trends will change and we'll go back to a super dense, <laughs> dense application, lots of information. But I don't see that really happening. Um, personally, I just think that, I think they're going to try to. I think American companies, their goal is. Let's expand into every facet of life, and look like we're not doing it. Mm -hmm. American companies don't want to be the don't want to look like the one-stop shop for everything. They want to be it secretly, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people, you know, like uh, I've talked to you, they might not know that Amazon owns Twitch. You know, they just go to Twitch. They don't think about it. Some people don't even know that uh, YouTube is owned by Google. You know, like these. Services, they try to decouple them, except for Facebook, who insists on saying Instagram, by Facebook. Yeah. You know, so like a lot of these companies are like, let's be these, let's provide all the services that are necessary and make it look like, the make the customers
1: think they're making choices. Is that, do you think, in result of what us as consumers like, or not that I want to get this. Too political because I have a few other tech-related things. But do you think that is because of regulation? Because I know a big move, allegedly, this is some reports, a big move of why Facebook decided to bring everything in was so that if you know regulation ever came in and said, "Hey, we don't see any obvious overlap between Facebook and Instagram," you got to split it up. They can say, "Oh no, like mm-hmm. we have cross messaging, like like all the messaging and all of our platforms work together." It's Instagram by Facebook because mm-hmm. all these things integrate, and so mm-hmm. like that's for regulation. But do you think it's decoupled? so that it can kind of skirt around regulation or do you think it's because actually as consumers that makes more sense to us?
0: I think that the decoupled aspect is a, to appeal to consumer preference in the sense that American the American citizenry citizenry largely, you know, largely believes in capitalistic principles. They want to believe, you know, and even people who, would say they're not capitalist, Want to be making choices and choose the best thing in a, in, a, in a free market. Very few people want to. I mean, so there's always some some people. But very few people want like a single producer of this, and then they don't have anything to choose from. I think no one would like that. And so they want to feel like they're making the choice of choosing the best item, whether they really are actually freely making the choice or clever advertising is statistically pushing them towards the product that integrates best with Mm. all the Apple services they own or all the Amazon services they own. That's another question. Mm -hmm. But I think that Americans consumers want to feel like competition is alive and that they're always making the best choice that comes
1: from that competitive market. Yeah, that's very like non-tech example. And granted, None of these companies are headquartered in the US, but um, Luxottica, the like eyeglasses company, you know, Mm -hmm. owns Ray-Bans. They own Oakley's. They own the licensing for, um, I think it's like Lacoste and Ralph Lauren and all these like really like bougie, like just every glasses brand that you can think of that isn't like a $10 glasses from Target, like it looks like you walk into a sunglasses hut and it's just like oh my gosh like look at all these options well 90 percent of those options are owned by the same company and Mm -hmm. obviously they're not going to overhaul it all and say oh this is all exotic because you're right from like our principles it's like we like options you know obviously sometimes the options paralyze us but you know overall it's like the that's interesting the perception of competition is like what we desire whereas maybe that's not the same in places like China and WeChat yeah I think that there's a lot of difference I mean and
0: just like especially when you look at something like China being um, having a history of you know true communism and now more of a sp- state-sponsored capitalism, there's a lot of history of single producers for items mm-hmm. or very few state-sponsored producers. And so consumers are more willing to accept single producers, I would assume, than in the United States where it's like, I mean, it's like a big deal if some of the companies go out of business and there's less choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to see significant competition, and there's a lot of benefit to making it seem like that's the case, even though I think in a lot of ways, competition is—I mean—in you know, really in absolute terms, competition is very low mm-hmm. right now, and compared to um, recent uh, history, and so it's all in the benefit of these large monopolistically trending companies to make it seem like
1: there's competition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, to, to not shift gears, but one example I guess I want to talk more about um, is, so back to that podcast, that Decoder podcast, uh, in, in the intro I mentioned that quote about how um, the host was mentioning about how, you know, you're building a, you know, I think it was about, he's talking more about, man, like you're really making a lot of acquisitions and you're adding all these, you know, features to make a really great social media app, like how do you think about product roadmap or whatever, and his reply, not even addressing the question, he just naturally said, well, at Twitter, you know, our goal is to, build tools to allow people to like amplify their own voices to empower people to share their thoughts. And so that starts to bring into a lot of context and you know, a lot of their decisions and stuff. And as a PM, as a product, <laughs> product manager, I'm always very interested in like, you know, the North star goals and like mission statement and vision and stuff. And two companies, I think a lot about that, especially with the pandemic is Lyft versus Uber. Um, I am going to pull out my phone cause I want to make sure I say these verbatim, but I looked up before this podcast Uh, The mission statement of both Lyft and Uber. And Lyft's mission statement is, quote, to reconnect people through transportation. Uber's mission statement is ignite opportunity by setting the world in motion. Now, some could say this is marketing speak. Most might. Some might just say it looks really good on an About Us page, which it does. But also, one of those companies made out like a bandit from the pandemic, and the other one is hurting a lot, (laughs) and the one that made out like a bandit is one who is not the mission statement didn't say we're moving people around they said we're setting the world in motion that starts to put into a lot of context Uber Eats their acquisitions of you know Drizzy acquisitions of Postmates their you know move into Uber Freight their move into um like intracity like delivery of stuff whereas Lyft you know doubled down on let's make the app op- really good and, you know, build out our connection of people and maybe add scooters and bikes. And now they're starting to deploy, you know, white labeled scooters into cities. And so to to see at a high level, they're both just cab companies. As I said, with Amazon, they're at a high level. They're an e-commerce company. But even the nuance of how they approach it, Amazon says we're going to build the earth's most customer centric company. That starts to put into a lot of context, a lot of their investments around seemingly random things, even with Uber, you know. It doesn't really make sense what like Uber is going to, you know, deliver groceries to me. Oh, Uber is going to, you know, have self-driving semi-trucks. It doesn't make any sense. But then when you look at the nuance of really what they're driven by and the jobs that they think that their products can empower them to do, it starts to make a lot of sense. And so that's, that's why I guess I was so interested in talking about this because it's like the same with WeChat, you know, about it's so crazy, all these products and services this app provide, we think it's nuts. And like you said, it's kinda of happening here, just in, in different ways. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on like the, the at Uber analogy? Well, I, I have a I mean you sparked a question for me to give to you in, in
0: terms of like mission statements. Please. You're a PM. Right? Yes. <laughs> and you know, my, my viewpoint on mission statements are they're great, they're fluffy, they're marketing speak. Mm. They serve a purpose to inspire members of the workforce. Mm. At the end of the day, a lot of times the mission statements are kind of just BS. Mm. Like the companies in the modern world, I think 99% of the time the company's goal is to make money. Sure. Even, Absolutely. even when the company has this goal, Absolutely. we're going to be a green company. We're going to do, we're going to save the earth. The company's goal is to make money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when Uber says we're going to ignite the world through, Setting it in motion or whatever. What they mean is we're going to dominate the transportation industry and make as much money after we dominate it. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to get your take on, as a PM, when you write flowery mission statements, (laughs) do you think to yourself, how do I justify this company? Let's just say you have Brim. Okay. Oh gosh. (laughs) Brim is a company that Luke and I had started. Uh, how do we justify Brim's conquest hmm. and exploitation of the coffee takeout and delivery industry? Mm-hmm. Or not, Or do you, would you say that you 100% believe there's just an ear of, I believe in this
1: mission statement and I hope we make money? Yeah, so not going to avoid that that question, but it, this is going to give context to what I'm about to say. I totally agree with you. Mission statements are a vehicle in which to inspire employees to build products so that they can make a lot of money. It's not inspiring to go to Uber and say, hey, you are an agent for us. You are one of a million mm-hmm. that is going to do, you know, sweatshop work for us in <laughs> behind the computer, you know, coding so you can make us a lot of money. And we'll give you some kickback for mm-hmm. it. That's obviously not inspiring. And so I, I agree with you that, that, you know, yeah, Uber is, you know, going to invest in sustainability and this and that, and they want to ignite the world empower people, blah, blah, blah. Of course that, that is marketing speak. I, I agree with you. But what I think is very interesting about mission statements is that uh, as a PM, I'm a firm believer in that everything that you work on, every little piece of action that you take, every email that you make, every, you know, in developer world, every ticket that you do mm-hmm. rolls up to some broader vision, some broader mission, like, you know, this is going, like, this bug fix is going to fix this drop-down. This dr- by this having this drop-down fixed, this is going to fix this part of the experience. This part of the experience will then, you know, and there's two ways. This is where, this, like, the chain starts to, or the, the tree starts to separate. The marketing speak says, oh, by having this page fixed, well, then it'll delight users and it'll empower them, right? But the real chain is, by this way, it'll make it easier for users to then process the transaction, make more money for us, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess, to me... Backing up to the Brim thing, which, for context, Brim is a mobile ordering app uh, that we made. Basically, it's an app that coffee shops can sign up for and they can process payments and so on and so forth. I mean, I feel like if we we wouldn't have started it if it weren't for the pure, at least for me, I wouldn't have started it if it weren't for the passion of, hey, like, sure, there's a business opportunity here. But just by the prospect of having a business opportunity doesn't necessarily elevate people to do cool things, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, you know, I don't think, I mean, obviously people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs like ride in the wave of the technology revolution and they arguably created it, but I don't think they did what they did purely from the business opportunity. Might, that might be a perspective of it and a percentage mm-hmm. of it. But I think you can start to actually see from a PM standpoint, start to, see, there's a difference between, oh, I guess that makes sense why, you know, Uber decided to acquire Drizzy and Drizzy is this app that like delivers like, alcohol, basically, to people's homes. Well, that kind of makes sense, whatever, delivery, but I feel like it makes more sense when the mission of them is to move the world, right? Mm-hmm. It starts to justify it more than, because you're right, at the end of the day, it's they're going to acquire them because then now they have a larger market share, they're going to drive up prices, they're going to make more money, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Sure, that's the that's actually what's happening, but to empower the people working for them and to make, make sense of the decision, I feel like that's where I find mission statements very interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you. I
0: mean, I just think that, yeah, a lot of times there's there's this... Especially with large companies. Especially like, you know, a startup, it's easier to believe they believe in the mission mm-hmm. than it is for like Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think that uh, it's just an interesting idea of where does the line be drawn between genuine interests in the mission and just let's make money. Mm-hmm. Let's make... Or make influence. You know, some... I think some goals are... Um, efforts by companies like let's say Amazon um, is investing heavily in renewable energy, um, electric delivery, vans, et cetera, you know, in some ways they're buying themselves goodwill, Mm -hmm. significant amount of goodwill with that. And so their mission is, you know, in that particular area is to become more sustainable, but they're also just buying goodwill because they know customers won't do them. And so this, I mean, it's kind of this whole question of, you know, when you're debating you're talking about capitalism and markets, it's like, you know, what's the painting on top of the reality? Yep. And so, I think that, in, in many times, there's no point in even having that discussion, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you're nitpicking under the details when it's like, it, it literally doesn't necessarily matter. Um, You know, because ultimately, every, a company is driven in the same way that organisms are by its basic needs, and a company's basic <laughs> need is money. money yes, <laughs> and so in the same way that all of our wants and needs are ultimately driven by food, shelter, you know, relationships. So, yeah, I think it's
1: I don't know, just a question I wanted to hear your thoughts on as a PM. Yeah, and
0: got I mean, a very PM
1: answer. Yeah, well, and it's funny because you're right. It's like it's we're saying the same thing. It's just we're paying the you know we're using different brushes essentially. So yeah, you know, but and I have not looked up WeChat's mission statement. And again, I don't think people usually look up people's mission statements. Um, yeah. But, you know, I bet if people... PMs do. To, PMs do. That's true. I do. And I'm going to after this episode. But I guarantee you, I'm going to look up WeChat's mission statement. And if I can use a translate functionality on Google, it probably say, like, um, connecting people to opportunities or something extremely massively broad, like building the earth's most customer-centric company, right? And it, it just, it's funny because it's like, if there is a company, I feel like today, and I mean, granted, there's we, we're just talking about companies that are already starting to do this, moving towards super apps, and arguably Google and Amazon are with their operating systems. But you know, I don't think it would I don't think if somebody pitched a startup today to say, I we're gonna build the app for everything, people are gonna be like, Yeah, right. Yeah. But you have companies that are literally doing that in China. They're saying we're gonna build the app for blank, mm-hmm. and they're getting millions of dollars in funding. And so it's, just, it's interesting how maybe it's cultural, maybe it's their approach, maybe it's what we as consumers are used to and what we expect from companies, mm-hmm. but it's funny how just, you know, quote unquote, a few thousand miles away, how just crazy things change. And that's not with technology, that's obviously mm-hmm. with everything, but um, from, we're, we're both technologists, so it's just interesting to think about it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, another interesting thing about the Chinese market is it's at the same time both regulated and deregulated in the sense that there's very little, like, copyright protection. Mm -hmm. And so if someone said, I'm going to come out and build the app for everything, there's a decent chance you can believe that it could succeed for for multiple reasons. One, they could just steal everything that WeChat's doing, Mm -hmm. like, blatantly and almost certainly won't get, you know, punished for it. It's also the chance that tomorrow the Chinese government could just shut WeChat down and say, Mm -hmm. you're no longer operating in China because you're... Um, one of your COOs, you know, or your COO criticized um, Xi Jinping. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's uh, China's a very hmm. volatile market. Hmm, maybe this <laughs> podcast won't be available in China. Sorry to all those <laughs> listeners. But um, China's markets are very volatile from a combination of actually in some very entrepreneurial areas. I mean, in some areas, hyper capitalist principles backed up by a government that interferes at random times. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a big difference. Where in America, if you said, I'm going to be the app to build everything or do everything, and you start going and you're mildly successful, Google buys you. True. And the government doesn't do anything about it. The government in America isn't has shown that it's not particularly interested in maintaining true competition in the marketplace. It's interested in many ways of protecting a lot of the big guys stakes which um you know it's a positive and negative thing it does offer some consumer advantages at the moment but at the same time it decreases the chance of starting companies that's why you know in the last few years 2020 being a huge exception there's been some of the lowest entrepreneurship um rates in the united states ever mm-hmm. it's just not a viable industry really um 2020 is an exception because you know, everything everyone had time yeah um but it's it's just America's becoming less competitive than China. But it's also a little safer where the government's not gonna shut you down. Um, it's not as almost yeah,
1: like give you a what is like a twenty five billion dollar fine or whatever they you yeah. to, to Alibaba, like just yeah. cause kind of <laughs> or just
0: um, stop your IPO from going public, yeah. have your CEO disappear for a couple of months. After saying something somewhat questionable yeah. on a <laughs> questioning financial policy yeah yeah it's a it's a completely different world over there and so yeah it's america's just much more stable Mm -hmm. but their markets are also have become very uncompetitive and so i think that's a big challenge for that's a whole nother topic Mm -hmm. of kind of the breakdown of true market capitalism in the united states um but it's a, that's kind of a whole whole other podcast, probably.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to remark something about that, but you're right. I feel like that could probably be a podcast in and of itself.
0: Yeah, about... the whole um, <laughs> Rake's senior strategy
1: class <laughs> shoved into a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I well, we maybe you might have just heard listeners. You might have heard a future unprompted prompt. Uh, it'd, be a, prompt. it'd be our our holiday special prompted episode <laughs> a four hour episode of like six things that we've always wanted to talk about where we just chat for four hours that'd be interesting well the last question i guess i want to leave you with with like this topic is do you 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 think okay so you're right about you know apple and ios being its own super app but if you had to guess or think do you think that there would be like an actually like on the app store app type thing do you think that there are in the next 5-10 to years, do you think there will be a super app? And if so, who do you think currently, if there is one, is most positioned to become that?
0: No. Consumers won't enjoy it. Apple wouldn't let it on the App Store. I think that's, that's a fair response. Google wouldn't let it on the App Store either. Because they would, it would compete with them.
1: 30%.
0: Apple <laughs> would want more. You're right. I think that... Uh, Unless, unless like crazy regulations get put in place to try to like limit company like Apple's power over the marketplace um, and kind of like increase competition in that software space, there wouldn't even be a chance of it getting to consumers. And even then, I think that it would just be it would be very jarring. I think the American technology culture is so con- counter to it mm. um, that unless there was a big shift in the way we looked at technology and apps, then it wouldn't happen. Yeah. I actually see it maybe going the other way. i, I That's just a personal preference of me. I like apps being broken up. Mm. I don't know if everyone else agrees with that. But I would see things breaking up further, um, more so than coming together, would be
1: my preference, if not my guess. Yeah, because a great example of that is, you know, uh, Google One, and the apples whatever plus 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 program they have where you basically pay this monthly rate and you get access to these 10 different outlets of apps mm-hmm. there isn't a google one app maybe there is but there isn't this i don't even know what it's like called like the apple premiere plus where you get every single service they offer the mm-hmm. premium version of it but you still have to go to get um you know apple fitness plus you still got to go to the fitness app to mm-hmm. get news plus you still go to the news app there's not just this conglomerate app that you're paying for the service, but there isn't the one-stop shop that you do to access at all. So Yeah, like, honestly, Apple would kick it out of the App Store for this
0: simple reason it would be ugly. Yeah. Like, Apple would hate it. Like, an <laughs> app that, that has everything in it would just, like, like Johnny Ives would be throwing up. And, like, <laughs> ter- <laughs> and they would just, like, Tim Cook would, like, just, like, personally delete it off the App Store. I, I don't, I just, I can't see it happening
1: um, personally. But you never know. And a great example to that is, uh, you know, I always like to see what they carry at the Apple stores because that's, to me, has always been a signal for what they're going to build.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Good example, years ago before they started making headphones, they had tons of headphones available you can buy. You know, you can buy Bose in the store, you can buy all these things. Then suddenly, about a month before they happened to announce the AirPods, they took out all of the headphones. You can't buy any other headphones except for Apple headphones and maybe, I think, Bose they might have kept around. And then, wow, they magically released AirPods, AirPods Pro, AirPods Maxes. Mm-hmm. They used to carry Sonos speakers
0: mm-hmm.
1: at Apple stores. You can go buy a Sonos speaker online on their on their whatever. Um, then all of a sudden Sonos went off. What the heck happened? Oh, HomePod. HomePod yeah. Mini came about. Now they carry fitness gear on their website. Mm. Is that an indicator? I don't know. Maybe cite this podcast in a few years, and we'll see if they make the Apple rowing machine or the Apple bike because mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting correlation. Granted, they had the um, airport the airport like uh, mm-hmm. routers and now they obviously went back on that and they sell Belkin and stuff in store now but um, that's my one of my favorite things is to look what they sell online that's not Apple and typically that's a nice indicator of uh, maybe what they're going to build in the future yeah. but they don't sell cars not
0: yet <laughs> not Just yet right. they're
1: going to start selling cars <laughs> they'll sell like Teslas and yes Chevy Bolts pay with Apple pay yeah <laughs> Well, Jared, this was a great episode. And obviously, we can't conclude without having our a pretty regularly scheduled segment. I, I mean, say I'd say it's... at
0: this point, it's it's pretty regularly. Yeah, it's like five episodes already. I mean, wow. There's been so much knowledge gained or falsely given to you in these regularly recurring segments. So no. Luke, I guess we're in my room again. We so there is a
1: bookcase. We'll... You know, I'm not going to look at the bookcase because I know what I'm going to ask. Okay, okay. So uh, you know, we talked about I mentioned earlier about Uber and Lyft and the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, arguably the last biggest pandemic was the Spanish flu.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you, um, do you have any interesting facts about times of the Spanish flu or any, uh, that time period? I don't even know what time period it was, like late, early 1900s, late 1800s, maybe. Yes.
0: So I'll, I'll talk a little, little bit about it. I, I'm not an expert on it, um, but I read up some on it when the pandemic started. It's mm. interesting. So, it started right at the end of World War I, which is one of the reasons why it spread so quickly. Like, back Mm. then, travel wasn't as common, but you had a whole bunch of people going and returning from the fronts uh, in the war, uh, specifically the Western Front. But something that's really interesting is it's called the Spanish Flu, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't originate in Spain. Mm. It is believed that maybe originated um, or started becoming very common in Canada uh, from actually possibly a group of um, workers kind of like conscripted laborers from um, East Asia uh, on their way through Canada so probably originated somewhere in Canada
1: mm-hmm.
0: but every country in World War one censored the press interesting in order to keep morale high So Britain, France, United States, uh, Canada, they didn't let it get out that there was this big outbreak of disease because that would be detrimental to morale. Mm -hmm. Spain wasn't part of World War I. Spain didn't censor the press. So Spain was like, we have this giant outbreak of uh, influenza uh, and what's going on? Why is no one else like having this? And so everyone named it. That's the Spanish flu wow and then uh they thought it originated in spain i have because it. it actually did but because um there was a lot of censorship that stopped it from being publicized widely around the rest of the world so <laughs> wow <laughs> other interesting thing I, it killed a lot of people like um i believe it's the ranges are somewhere between maybe like uh, 20 to 100 million People? Million. Million. Holy cow. Um, but it's hard to know because a lot of the um kind of third world there weren't um in the colonies there weren't great mm-hmm. records being taken. Um, but it was very, very um deadly. Wow. it was very it was very bad. Um but it was also a, a a great stepping stone that pushed um science, uh, you know, biological science in America especially forward. Formation of a lot of institutions to research disease. Um, it's where we learned a lot about I think it was some of the, where we learned foundational information on viruses mm. viruses weren't known yet um, just a lot of interesting time and then something that I think might be repeated here is it finished and it was essentially forgotten mm. it wasn't memorialized, people just kind of moved on didn't talk about it You know, it was just very you know, hardly anyone knew it even happened until this pandemic started. Wow. And so I think that's kind of a, probably something that's going to happen again, where humanity seems to just kind of forget pandemics, mm-hmm. try to forget them. Um, and so we only remember the very worst, like the Black Plague. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, that's what I'd say is my interesting fact. That, uh, that's very interesting. I had no idea. Thanks for enlightening me. As, as always, with our now regularly scheduled History segment where I forgot to say this in the beginning, but where I asked Jared a random time frame or geographic location, and he pulls something out of his ass that's always super, super interesting. Yes. So thank you as always. And sometimes it's usually somewhat right, <laughs> and if it's not, he Jared does a really good job in our show notes of correcting it. And what else can we? What else can our uh, listeners find in our show notes?
0: Well, you can find links to things that we talked about in the show. Sometimes a lot of links. Sometimes a few links. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find. I guess I'll put a link to our website, um, mm-hmm. unpromptedpod.com. And what, what what could a user potentially do on this website? You could see pictures of us. Oh, that'd be great. Read descriptions of us. Even better. You could. No, that's probably about it. Well, there's one key thing at the very bottom though. You can listen to episodes. You can low lower our favorite episodes more
1: than that it involves a Google form you can send feedback feedback yes you no
0: longer have to tweet at Luke since he's the only one with a Twitter account you can now send feedback through our website
1: that send direct emails to us the second we get feedback so Mm -hmm. still waiting on an email for some feedback but uh we respond to every one of them if we theoretically had feedback (laughs) yeah we would we would unless you send them too many then then we'll try But but please leave feedback. Please check out the show notes. And thanks so much for listening, as always. Uh, We'll catch you next time. All right. Goodbye. Bye.